Could I get you to turn, please, to John chapter 2? John chapter 2. And not sure where I put my iPad. Did I leave it there, Shirley? No? Here it is. So I have uh, three chapters to cover today. So uh, obviously I'm not going to be able to do it verse by verse. Um, but we do have some nice trends, some nice themes uh, in, these pa- in this passage, uh, John chapter 2 uh, through, ver- uh, through chapter 4. <clears throat> but um, what I would like to do right now is read the beginning of uh, this passage and the end of the passage, and you'll see that they are linked together. So John chapter 2, let's look at verse 1. Uh, On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana. Now, that's significant. I want you to watch Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification, containing 20 or 30 gallons each. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. And when the head waiter tasted the water which had become wine, he did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. The head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, every man serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poorer wine, but you've kept the good wine until now. This was the beginning of his signs that Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So that's a miracle, or as John calls it, a sign at the start of this passage. And if we go over now to the end of this passage, uh, let's look at John chapter 4 and verse 46. We're going to find another miracle, another sign that ends this passage that took place in Cana. Therefore he came, I'm looking at John 4 and 46, Therefore he came again to Cana of Galilee where he had made the water wine and there was a royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. And when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and was imploring him to come down and heal his son for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, and yes, you, unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. But the royal official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, Go, your son lives. And the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. And as he was going down, his slaves met him and said, His son was living, so he acquired of them of the hour when they began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, 
the fever left him. <clears throat> and the father knew that it was at that hour that Jesus had said, your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. This was the second sign that Jesus performed when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. So the bookends of this passage, John 2, 3, and 4, the bookends are two miracles, what John calls signs, that occurred in the town of Cana. And we'll come back to those in a few moments. What I want us to look at first is something that uh, VG and, uh, and Gio have already talked to you about as they were looking at chapter 1. Um, John's gospel is all about a progressive revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. He begins small and builds to the point where he takes himself to the cross of Calvary and gives himself there uh, as a sacrifice for sin for us. And so there's a progressive revelation of Christ's glory. John 1 and 2 refers to Jesus as the Word. In the beginning was the Word. Now if I'm trying to convey to you what I'm thinking, what my emotions are, my uh, successes or my failures, if I'm trying to convey something to you, and I stand in front of you and don't say a thing, you won't get it. You won't understand what's going on inside my head. In order for me to be able to reveal myself to you, I have to use words. And so in this reference to the Lord Jesus Christ as the Word, it means that He's going to reveal Himself. He's going to speak His emotions. He's going to speak His thoughts. We're going to understand so unless we speak, people don't understand. And unless God speaks, we will not understand who God is. I have a granddaughter named Avery. She's two. And sometimes when she's tired, she just stands there and whines and cries. Uh, she, and it's impossible to know really what's wrong with her. And her mother always says to her, Avery, use your words. And sure enough, then when she starts speaking, we understand what's wrong and we can try and address the problem. God uses words to speak himself to us. And in particular, the word is the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1, 1-2 says this, God, after he had spoken long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in these last days he has spoken to us, he's used his words, by his son. Luke 10 and 22 says this, No man knows who the Father is but the Son. And listen to this, And to whom the Son reveals himself. So if we want to understand what God is like, if we want to know what God's attributes are, we have to look at the Lord Jesus Christ. John 1 and 14 up here, I have to use the clicker, John 1 and 14 says this, We look at his glory, the glory as of the Father's one and only, full of grace and truth. And so the word that became flesh speaks to us or helps us understand who God is. Today we're looking at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. 
Uh, Gio and Vigi looked at chapter 1, which deals mostly with John the Baptist. But here we have the commencement of Jesus' ministry and how he reveals God to us and specifically how he reveals God's glory. Now, my advice, a piece of advice, in order for us to understand God, we have to know the Lord Jesus Christ. This is both a relationship through salvation Those of us who have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as our own Savior, we have an immutable, an unchangeable relationship with the Lord Jesus. And we will begin our Christian life whereby on an ongoing basis we can come to a knowledge of Him through the understanding that we gain from the Word of God, from the Scriptures. Our ongoing relationship after salvation has to be based in the Word of God. We will understand about the Savior and by so doing understand the Father. If we read the Scripture, we will know Jesus. And if we know Jesus, we will understand who God is. Now, I've got a lot of stuff to get through, but we will do it Uh, in an organized way here. So I show you... uh, Shoot, got to use this. It's a little small, but you will see that at the top there's chapter 2, 1 to 12 in yellow. And this is Jesus' first sign, his first miracle, the water into the wine. And it was done so that his disciples would understand. And in verse 11 of chapter 2, we read it together, it says, they believed. Now, the other yellow passage is at the bottom, and this is the second sign, the second miracle that was done at Cana. And here the royal official, uh, his son was healed. And uh, who actually was the miracle or the sign given to? It was given to the official and to his family. And in verse 53 of chapter 4, what does it say? They believed. The signs that Jesus gave were designed to generate belief. Now there's a white section, the second section there. Does this work? No. It, uh, chapter 2, 13 to 22, we haven't read about it, but I'm going to discuss it with you. It's the Lord Jesus clearing the temple. So there were money changers or money uh, exchange people and uh, animal sellers who were in the temple and the Lord removes them. Uh, talking to us about the purity of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 22 of chapter uh, 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 verse 22 of chapter 2, it says about his disciples again, what? They believed. Belief is very important. And then in the center section here in blue, we've got two conversion stories. And we're going to look at those together. And they are linked. There's a conversion of the man Nicodemus. Associated with John 3.16, that famous conversion verse. And then in chapter 4, there's the conversion story of the woman who was at the well of Sychar. 
and all of the people from the city who came out to listen to the Savior. He stayed a couple of days to preach to them there. And in verse 16 of chapter 3, and in verse 41 of chapter 4, what is the result? Belief. Nicodemus believed. And belief, the people of Sychar believed. Do you see the link in all of these sections of chapter 2, 3, and 4? Everything is oriented towards the Lord Jesus Christ revealing himself for a purpose so that people would believe. So let's look first at these two miracles that we read about, chapter 2 and in chapter 4, that bookend this passage. The first miracle uh, was the, uh, a miracle um, that Jesus did at the very start of his ministry. And uh, John calls his miracle, all his miracles, signs. All of the miracles were signs with the purpose that something would be revealed. A sign is a, is a signature or a, a signpost leading us to an end. And in the case of Jesus in the book of John, there are seven different miracles that he performed. In every case, they're referred to as a sign. Uh, the two miracles that we've read about here that happened in Cana at the start of chapter 2 and the end of chapter 4 were called the first and the second signs of the Lord Jesus Christ. They revealed the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ in that he was able to command in a supernatural way um, the elements and people to drive people to understand who he was, to reveal himself to us. Cana is only mentioned in the book of John. And so it's interesting that these first two miracles that the Lord Jesus does are only seen in the Gospel of John. And they are number one and number two here in John chapter 2 and John chapter 4. The other five miracles take place later in uh, succeeding chapters and uh, other brethren will be reviewing those with you as we progress. Now this miracle of changing uh, water into wine was not a life or death matter. It was, at best, uh, a social disaster for the bridegroom who had not, uh, it, was, it was his responsibility to make sure that there was sufficient food and wine for all of the guests. And as the evening progressed, it turned out he had not done enough. And so it could have been a social disaster. Nobody was going to die. Nobody was going to be hurt. But it was a social problem. And the Lord, in this small way, steps in and prevents the bridegroom from having to be embarrassed. And so the first miracle of the Savior is not a dramatic one. It's dramatic, certainly, in that it was supernatural. But it's not dramatic from the point of view of its impact upon the world. It was to prevent social embarrassment. And Jesus turned approximately 110 to 160 gallons of water into wine. It was spectacular. And when the Lord Jesus Christ does something, he does it abundantly. And when he gives us life, he gives life abundantly. And when he gives grace and mercy and truth, he does it abundantly. But it's interesting as well <clears throat> that this miracle was only seen by Jesus himself his mother, 
and the disciples who were there. It was not seen by all the other guests. And we're not even told that the, <clears throat> the master of the feast or the, uh, the, the, uh, that anybody else or any of the guests that they knew that this miracle occurred. But the result was in verse 11 of chapter 2 is that they believed. The disciples believed. The second miracle at Cana at the end of chapter 4 Jesus returns to Cana again. Now, Cana is a small village just outside of Nazareth where the Lord was uh, brought up as a child. And he performs a miracle of healing here from afar uh, to the son of a royal official. They were present in Cana. The royal official had come from his home in Capernaum, which is about 20 miles away. And he said to the Lord, if you come, you can uh, 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 save my son, who is going to die. And uh, uh, Jesus talks uh, about people who will only believe in signs. There's that word again. But this royal official, he believed without a sign. The Lord said to him, you go back to Capernaum and your son will be alive. So the royal official displayed faith. Uh, and then had that faith confirmed, confirmed as, he, as he went back to Capernaum, his slaves came out to meet him and explained to him, the, your, your son's healed, his fever's gone, and it left him at exactly the time that the Lord Jesus said, your son's going to live. And so Jesus, in verse 54 of chapter 4, he says, this is the second sign that I'm giving you. And his, this was a, a miracle that was more, much more significant from the point of view of life and death than turning water into wine, the social embarrassment. This was a child's life. What is more serious than a child that is going to die? To the parents, it's a disaster beyond anything that you can conceive of, that your son or daughter would pass away. And so Jesus does this miracle, uh, a miracle of life, but not only that, he does it from afar. He's based in Cana, and his child is 20 miles away in Capernaum. And magically, through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, the revelation of his glory, of his supernatural ability, an amazing feat where the Lord gave life to this child, physical life. And in, uh, we're told as well in verse 54 that this man believed in the Savior. And not only him, but his whole family. And so in the first sign, the first miracle, where the disciples, and, uh, where the disciples believed, here we have a wider uh, step out of the revelation of the Lord's glory. And here a man and his whole family believed and they were saved. Jesus' glory was revealed in this sign by his physical and eternal life-giving to the royal official's son and family. Now, just quickly, the Lord still performs miracles today. Through the faith of his saints, and specifically by prayer, miracles are possible. We find it an uncomfortable subject sometimes, since there are many who are putatively Christians who through trickery claim to perform miracles when in fact there are frauds. And so it's uncomfortable for us sometimes to talk about miracles. 
But I want you to know this. If there is a miracle performed, it is a sign that is pointing towards belief. If somebody is uh, claiming to do miracles and it's to show their power or to push their church or to bring people into their church or designed to awe people, it will not be of God. A miracle today, a sign that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ through prayer, through faith of his saints, will be designed to result in belief, in salvation. So, with regard to miracles, be believing. I encourage you, be believing. God continues to work wonders, but be cautious because God works signs only in anticipation of salvation, only in anticipation of belief. I'm going to go to the two conversion stories, but first there's this small story of how the Lord clears the temple. And what this reveals to us is the purity of the Savior. It was during Passover, and the Lord clears the temple of animal sellers and currency traders. And the Jews refer to his action again as a sign. And it was a sign of the Lord Jesus' purity. He displays his glory in his holiness. And in contrast to the water into wine miracle, Jesus acts decisively to clear the temple uh, of commerce, which was interfering with the worship. And in particular, the area where these animals were being sold and currency was being exchanged is where the Gentiles would come to worship. Not where the Jews came to worship, but where the Gentiles came to worship. And so there was a racial discrimination portion to this that the Jews didn't care whether the Gentiles uh, were able to worship or not. They were going to have commerce going on in this place where God had designed for Gentiles to come to worship. And so the Lord steps in and he moves the commerce out of and the currency traders out of this area, opening it up again for Gentiles to come to worship. And we're going to see in chapter 4 when he goes to the Samaritans that he's interested in the whole world. He's interested in not just Jews, but Gentiles. And here's an initial indication that the Lord wants his place of worship to be pure, and he wants it to be inclusive for all races. The goal of this action, again, of this sign, was to generate belief. And in verse 22, we're told the disciples believed both the scripture and the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Christ's purity was revealed His glory of holiness was revealed to these disciples. Brothers and sisters, my advice on this area. Our God is holy and our God is pure. We all, no matter what race, are encouraged to come to worship. And worship begins with respect for God's holiness, for God's purity. And in a few minutes, we're going to see God's love in relationship to worship. But it's interesting to me that it's God's purity, his holiness, that is first brought out here in the Gospel of John in relationship to worship.
Now we're going to have a look at these two conversion stories. The first one is the conversion of Nicodemus. And uh, it starts in uh, chapter 2, verse 23, and goes through the, uh, chapter 3 of John. Now, we don't have time to read it all, but you know the story of Nicodemus, don't you? It results in that verse in John chapter 3 and verse 16 that says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And in chapter 3 and verse 2, Nicodemus says this, Lord, your words and your works are a sign. There's that word again. The words and works of Christ were a sign to direct people towards belief and to reveal his glory. Now, Nicodemus was a religious leader. He understood the law. But Nicodemus was also a political leader because those who were in charge of religious law were also delegated certain local and religious autonomy under the Romans. And so the religious and the political in the case of the Jews in the Palestine of those days was indistinguishable. If you were a religious leader, you were also a political leader. Now he came to Jesus by night and we're not told why, but my suspicion is, is that he was curious And he was interested in understanding the Savior, but he didn't want to compromise himself and his position as a religious and political leader. And throughout this passage, the Lord talks about the light. And so he came by night to the light. And Jesus, he recognized that Jesus was coming from God because of his words and his works. But Jesus immediately begins to explain to him that he had a need that he had not had satisfied. And the Lord does it by pounding away at him. And so he says the word born eight times. He says the word believe seven times. He says the word light five times. He says the word one and only two times. He says the word verily, verily, or amen, amen, three times. The Lord reiterates and restates and pushes and drives this man as a sign to drive him to belief. When Jesus discusses the new birth and challenges Nicodemus in verse 10 that he should have known a new covenant, he's, the Lord's referring to Jeremiah chapter 31 where, where the Lord said, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And because Nicodemus was a, a, a leader in Israel who knew the law, he should have understood that there was a new covenant coming through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the Lord preaches in John 3 and 16 that God so loved the world. Now this would be a bit of a shock to Nicodemus, who would think that the Jews were the chosen people, and that if the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming to the Jewish people. But the Lord says, God so loved the world. And this relates, this uh, uh, resonates with me because he had cleared out the section of the temple where the, where the Gentiles came to worship. And now he drives it home to this leader of Israel, this man who knew the law and says, it's the world that God loved. And it's the world that needs salvation, not just the Jewish people. John 3 and 16 is the first mention of love in the book of John. And it's a unique type of love. 
It's not the wishy-washy love, the puppy love. This is a love that is giving. Any love that's real is giving love. We wish to shower those that we love with blessings. And so God loved the world so much that he gave the biggest blessing that could ever be given. In this case, the most awesome gift possible. He gave everything that he could have given. There was nothing more he could have given that was so awesome than his son. And by believing in that son, eternal life results. Verses 9 to 21 refers to the light a number of times. And the light is a light in the darkness that reveals sin. And only once sin is revealed can men accept the light. And if life and light is not received, men perish. Verses 17 to 21. There's a lot of contrasts in this section. Those who come to the light and those who don't. Those who do evil and those who don't. Those who believe and those who won't. Those who adhere to the truth and those who do not. Those who have life and those who are dead already. The Lord preaches a sermon here that is, is full of value. It's a sign that points to his glory. And a sign that is driving people to belief. We really don't know how Nicodemus responded that night. However, later in John, we learn that he defended Jesus against accusations and he also assist, assisted Joseph at the burial of Jesus and became a believer because he saw and understood the Lord Jesus' glory. Chapter 4, we have a woman, uh, a Samaritan woman at the well of Sychar. She came out to the community well to get water while Jesus sat at the well. And uh, she was a Samaritan. And Samaritans were half-breeds in that day. They were part Jew, part Gentile. And as such, they were despised by the Jewish people. And uh, in this case, this woman was not only a half-breed, but she was also uh, not morally upright. She had had four husbands and uh, was living common law with another man. And yet the Lord had this relationship with her and we'll find in a few moments that she came to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. She probably came to the well at noon hour uh, because she couldn't uh, be there when others were around. She was a social outcast. Jesus talked to her uh, in a similar way that he talked to Nicodemus about the gift of God in verses 7 to 10, about eternal life in verses 11 to 15, and about belief in verses 39 to 42. The gospel's always the same. No matter who the Lord speaks to, uh, a leader in Israel or a social outcast, uh, 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 half-Gentile, half-Jewish person, the gospel's the same no matter to whom or under what circumstances. And her belief resulted in the belief of many in Syker because Jesus stayed and preached there for two days. And in verse 41, we're told, many more believed. There it is again. Many more believed because of his words. Uh, this is truly, it says, thus you are truly the savior of the world. God so loved the world. And now he's the savior of the world. God loved the world, John 3, 16, and Christ is the Savior of the world, chapter 4 and 41. Such is the revelation of God's glory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In the first miracle, it was to just a few people. 
in the last miracle that we uh, in chapter 4 it was just to this man and his family here the Lord reveals himself to a whole city and they believed the Lord's uh, 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 um, revelation of himself is increasing I want to look at uh, quickly the comparison of these two conversion stories one was a man one was a woman One's origin was in Jerusalem, in Judea, the other in Sychar, in Samaria. One was Jewish, one was Samaritan. The Nicodemus visit was planned. And Jesus' visit to the woman at Sychar, she came on an unplanned basis. It was by chance. Nicodemus came at midnight. The woman of Sychar came at the sixth hour, that's midday. Social status of Nicodemus, he was prominent. This woman was a social outcast. Nicodemus was aware of Jesus. The woman at Sychar, it was the first meeting she'd ever heard about him at all. The reaction to Jesus, Nicodemus, was a friendly relationship. The woman was initially hostile to the Savior. And with regard to worship and sin, Nicodemus understood worship, but he had to be taught that he was a sinner. The woman knew she was a sinner, was clear to her, but she had to be taught about worship. And while there were differences, sorry, uh, while there were differences, there were also similarities. Both began as conversations, although Nicodemus' conversation fades into a monologue by Jesus at the end. Both heard things they'd never heard before. Both realized that Jesus was a teacher and prophet come from God, but didn't realize he was a Messiah Savior until later. And both hear a message about the reality of sin, God's gift of grace, eternal life, and the requirement to believe. So my advice on this section is this. You must believe. In order to have the glory of God revealed to you, to understand who God is, you have to have this point of salvation of having accepted Christ as your Savior to take your sin away. If you haven't done that, it's impossible to live a Christian life. It's the critical beginning point of salvation. And once you have accepted Christ as Savior, you need to continue to believe in Christ. You need to continue to have faith in him day by day as a Christian, obeying him and seeking to proclaim his word uh, to your community. I trust that this was, has been a blessing to you as it was to me. Let's uh, give thanks. Father, we are thankful that the Lord Jesus Christ has been revealed to us. His glory has been shown to us, not just in this passage, but in others. God has spoken unto us through the word, the Lord, who has revealed God to us. Our Father, we have seen signs today that point towards the Savior of the world. The God who loved the world became the Savior of the whole world. And we are blessed because we are Gentiles who were brought in as a result of this love of the Savior and of his work upon the cross for us. Our Father, we pray that as Christians we may drive forward, that we would uh, point to Christ as the, sign, uh, as the signpost towards salvation, uh, towards belief 
and that those who, uh, uh, that every person here will come to know him as their savior. And once they are savior, uh, once they are saved, that they are driven on in their Christian life uh, to bring Christ to others. This our Father, uh, uh, we ask of thee, thanking thee again for the work of the Savior upon the cross in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.